We're about to take a deep dive into the situation at Chrysler. This is AutoLine. What a week it was for Chrysler. For a while there, it looked like there was an outside chance the company would get all of its restructuring done without going into bankruptcy. But when some hedge funds and banks held out for a better deal, it was the president of the United States himself who announced Chrysler would be filing for Chapter 11, an amazing development for a company with such a rich history. The company's manufacturing roots reach back to 1925 when founder Walter P. Chrysler, fresh from his success of his six-cylinder namesake, reorganized Maxwell Motors into the Chrysler Corporation. Early on, the company not only created cars, but was a mainstay for the war effort in the 1940s. And as Chrysler continued to grow over the next two decades, it produced some of the greatest nameplates to hit America's highways. But that came to a halt in the 70s with the worldwide oil crisis, which sent the company, along with its gas-guzzling fleet, to Washington, D.C., looking for a historic loan. Afterwards, the new face of Chrysler in both the boardroom and the living room, Lee Iacocca, If you can find a better car, buy it. Brought the company back into the black with fresh vehicles like the minivan, a market Chrysler continues to dominate. The company prospered on its own until the late 90s, when the so-called merger of equals between Daimler-Benz and Chrysler shook the financial world. Then, almost a decade later, a new Chrysler was born, this time answering only to the powerful private equity firm that purchased it, Cerberus. But all that changed a few months ago when this private company became very public in its fight to survive. And the government order deadline is finally here. So what does this mean for the company and what's going to happen with it going forward? Well, to get to the bottom of that, I've got a great panel of experts who really know what's going on. Jim Hall is an automotive consultant with 2953 Analytics. Craig Fitzgerald is a partner with Plant & Moran, an accounting and business advisory firm. And Kate Leinbaugh is an automotive reporter with The Wall Street Journal. If you want to know or need to know what's going to happen with Chrysler, stay right where you are because we'll be back to talk about all of that right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion right now all about what's going on at Chrysler with Kate Leinbaugh from the Wall Street Journal, Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, and Craig Fitzgerald from Plant and Moran. And Kate, let me start with you. Uh, was it an unexpected development that the President of the United States would make this announcement? I think we all knew that Chrysler was probably going to have to file. but the president making the announcement? I don't think it's that unexpected given that he made the announcement on March 31st when he came out and made a public statement and said Chrysler will face liquidation potentially if, if agreements are not met. Well, it's not liquidation, it's chapter 11. And he's, they say it's gonna be surgical, but 30 to 60 days, we'll see. Yeah, and, and Craig, what's your take on that? I mean, uh, 
the Chrysler and the administration seems to be saying, oh yeah, this is going to be quick and easy. What, what's your take on that? Uh, I don't know how it can be either quick or easy. It's a very complicated business. There's some good elements to it, good assets there, but there's some really pretty undesirable aspects. Um, I've never seen a, a bankruptcy this large go nearly that quickly. You know, we're four years into Delphi now, so I, I wonder how it can happen that fast. But don't you think that having got the unions on board, the major institutional uh, investors on board, the banks that is, that most of the heavy lifting's been done and now a, a bankruptcy judge would only have to play cleanup, so to speak? I do think a lot of the heavy lifting is done, but the, the bankruptcy law provides for everybody who's got a claim to have tons of motion. So there's going to be lots of legal wrangling unless they're just going to change the bankruptcy code and change the rules of the game, which will really elongate it, I think. But much of the hard work has been done. Jim, we've talked a lot about, you know, the banks, the hedge funds, the Canadian Union, the U.S. Union. What about dealers? I mean, I, I got to believe there's going to be lawsuits coming from them on this. There will be, but bear in mind that before this all hit, with Cerberus and when uh, Jim Press came on board, one of the things they wanted to do was to streamline their dealer network. And in that streamlining process, there were a lot of redundancies and dealers that were identified that were not going to be re-upped. There was the uh, integration to the, the Alpha or Genesis plan, which was to take all of the nameplates, all three, and put them in a single dealership. That's been moving along. Uh, the problem with it, the, the dealers, is that you have the issue of federal bankruptcy law and state franchise law coming into to clash. Uh, the cost of eliminating dealers can be very, very, very expensive, not only from a cash standpoint, but a time standpoint. You know, you could have lawsuits over this in local courts that could go on conceivably five, six, maybe even seven years. But can't a bankruptcy judge take care of that? Does it? Does anybody, can't a bankruptcy judge just go, not nah, we're ripping up these franchise agreements? Last time we had a car company in the United States file for bankruptcy, it had a limited number of dealers. The company was importing cars. It was, the company was constituted in New York. It was importing cars from Northern Ireland. It was DeLorean. <laughs> it was a Chapter 13, functionally. It was a dissolution. No cars, the dealership goes away. Before that, Bricklin, same thing. No cars, the dealership goes away. The last time, the farthest back you can go and find something that's even remotely similar is the, uh, basically the elimination of Kaiser Fraser and the formation of Kaiser. And the problem is when that happened, the bankruptcy laws were radically different involving reorganizational bankruptcies, and the franchise laws were entirely different. You still had regional distributors then. In other words, we really don't know what's this going is, to happen. In this this is unprecedented territory for a Chapter 11. It's never happened before. And we're going to find out a lot about it. Kate, who, oh, sorry, go ahead. I would also add to that that I think a lot of dealers have a lot of inventory at the moment where they bought a lot of vehicles in Chrysler's dealer incentive program earlier this year. And so to make them go away when they have six-month supply on their lot is going to be an expensive undertaking, whether it's for Chrysler, whether it's for the dealer, or whether it's for their lender. Yeah, great point. Who's going to end up running Chrysler now? That's, gonna, that's a good question, especially over... <laughs> that's why I asked it. <laughs> the next 60 days, I mean, uh, you saw today that CEO Bob Nardelli said he will step down when the company exits bankruptcy. Uh, he was also asked whether he's seen a bankruptcy that lasts 60 days, and he, he said he hadn't. So I guess he'll be at the helm for a little while longer. After that, I mean, they've, they've pointed to Sergio of, of Fiat, Sergio Marcioni, and uh, that's what we expect. That, that said, I mean, this... 
the stakeholders at the table and who will be on the board, I think, really remains to be seen. Craig, you're not surprised to see Bob Nardelli going away after all this, are you? I'm not. And I did hear a report today that there will be nine board members. Six of them will be nominated by the government, three by fiat, and that the board will then select the CEO and select the COO. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But Isn't that a danger, the government naming people to the board? Um, that would not be the preferred approach. Um, I think if they put a little more industry knowledge into the board than what they did on the task force, which I hope they do and expect they will, uh, I think they could get an acceptable outcome, though clearly that wouldn't be the way you'd prefer to see it. I, you seem to be hinting that maybe the task force hasn't done quite the job you might have preferred to see happen. I think the task force really has done a, really quite a good job. Um, I think they were disadvantaged by not having, and I think they spent a lot of time accessing a lot of automotive knowledgeable people. I think they could have speeded things up a bit had they put some resident knowledge on the task force, which they ended up having to access through the interview process. So I would give them really quite high marks. I, I, I agree, but I partially agree. If you had more car people on it too, everybody had to get up to speed on every aspect of the, the group in the task force. And initially, it is predominantly an economic issue and a financial issue because it's about getting this together so it does work. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying they shouldn't have had more car people or any car people on it, but I'm not sure it would have made it any faster because you still have to cross-communicate. And remember, when you look at the task force members, you have people that have slightly different backgrounds and they all favor sort of one side or the other of their background. So there's that tendency to clear the middle of the room out anyway. You sort of, you, you gather around your, 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 your knowledge base. So the, the education process had to be in there regardless. And there are times I think getting it from the outside is faster than having a board member trying to teach the others, myself. Kate, where do you think Fiat's involvement is going to come in? I mean, you know, it seems to me even though the government's putting half the board members in place, Fiat's going to have a big say in how this company goes forward, I would imagine. And where do you think we might first see that influence? I think you'll see Fiat uh, tooling up some factories pretty quickly if if this goes forward. I mean, I think that the bankruptcy process is quite, uh, w has a lot of unknowns there. Um, one of the interesting things, though, that I see, which gets back to your earlier question about the, gov the role of the government, and I think it's it's playing out and we're seeing it already, say, with the supplier aid package, is that, that there are these programs that, that the government puts forward to try to solve one problem, but it creates another. And I think you know, we may see some of that in the whole reorganization of, of, of Chrysler as that goes forward, as um, you all were suggesting with regard to the board. Um, Fiat it has invested a lot of strategic um, management power in making this deal go forward. I think that they have a lot of skin in the game, and I think you'll see them very active in Chrysler going forward. And clearly, this is giving them a ticket into the North American market, which, while we may see it depressed today, I think a lot of, certainly, European uh, car makers believe that there's a lot of promise here. Oh, yeah, going forward, there is. Uh, Craig, I would imagine if uh, I'm Sergio Marchionne, I want my own money person in charge of finance at Chrysler and probably my own purchasing person. Uh, where do you think some of Fiat's first steps will come in, in trying to integrate itself with Chrysler or integrate Chrysler into its operations? I don't know if with the government's prominent financial role, whether they'll get a CFO, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, I would say that might be more of a government-selected person. I do think they'll get into product, and I think they'll get into purchasing very quickly because that's, that's really where they have to move quickly. It's where the economies are, and it's where ultimately they need to be to really make this make sense. 
uh, our sense was that this is not a bad long-term strategic move. Uh, we wish they were putting $10 billion in to really address the short-term liquidity issues. So uh, I think they'll move very quickly on product and purchasing. Jim, Fiat's got a very flat management structure. I mean, all the guys at the top have at least two jobs that are very different from yeah. each other. Does it have the bench strength to take on a Chrysler? And they're talking about trying to go after Opel, too. To me, this is madness in terms of having the management capability of taking on two companies. Well, Opel, bear in mind, that that's actually so much off the board right now because there's a question of taking on Opel in, entirely or 50%, because General Motors' original offer was they'd go in 50% with somebody, in which case their flat management style will be sort of at odds of how Opel, or how Opel works. But regarding Chrysler, the truth is they do have a flat bench. You're right. People have multiple jobs, and none of those people have a real strong knowledge of the U.S. car market. That's very important. So it's in their best interest to look at some of the Chrysler bench because from a product and a dealer standpoint, they have one really good guy there and some other very good characters. So I think they need to leverage the strength that Chrysler has. Chrysler has some strengths that the guys haven't been able to exercise because they were saddled with a god-awful product line and a horrid market to sell vehicles. I mean, let's face it. I still contend there are aspects of the, the Avenger and Sebring that make them salesproof in a unique way. Uh, so the best salesman in the world isn't going to be able to move it. Um, you know, it's, it's like when they did a diesel Chevette and with a $9,000 uh, rebate, it still wouldn't sell. Where do you think we're going to see product first coming out of, or what kind of product do you think they'll first move on here, Kate? Uh, who, Fiat? Fiat, Fiat? Fiat with Chrysler, I mean. Well, they've said the Cinco, twen, Cinco Cento. Excuse me. The 500. Yeah, the 500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I mean, you know, you talk, you talk with dealers and they say, well, you know, we're pretty good when it comes to trucks and we've got Jeep, but our, like you're saying, um, the, the car lineup is, is weak. And so they're eager for that. But then at the... In the same breath, they'll say, well, it's two years away, so what's going to keep us going between now and then? They have one arrow in their quiver for the next 18 to 24 months, the Ram and the minivan. That's it. They don't have anything else of any significance that they can play off of. That's new or you know, refreshed? That will work in the market, refreshed, new, and there's a large enough market and the unit profitability in the product is such that they had some opportunity if they can move vehicles. Ram's profitable. Even though it has front-loaded uh, amortization, the thing can be profitable at decent volumes that they can conceivably do. The uh, minivan has a lot of the amortization that the investment paid off already, so it's, a good, it's in a good position. Those are vehicles that have a better chance in the marketplace than their small cars or than uh, the LX cars, which are still very nice cars, but it's a segment that's just sort of... Keep talking. Let's talk product. You know, yeah. Okay, the Fiat 500, as Kate just mentioned. The Fiat 500 is as an import because the 500 is built in Poland. Uh, bring, building it here will not give them any realization of cost benefit. It won't. Right. It'll be higher cost. But what will it do for them? It, uh, the truth is it can give them a vehicle, depending upon how it's merchandised, if it's merchandised simply as the Cinquecento at a Chrysler dealer, because I don't think you're going to see Fiat try to reintroduce the Fiat mark in this nameplate. The next nameplate they're going to try to relaunch is Alfa Romeo. I mean, they've looked at what's happened with Volkswagen and Audi, and the way one has a good place in the market that stays profitable, the other one has to play at the margins. Uh, but I think you'd see the Cinquecento as an import possibly marketed against the, uh, the Mini. Mm -hmm. You're going to see farther downstream, you will see a uh, Punto or Linnea platform derivative that'll have to have some reskinning for diagonal bumper hit and so on that'll probably be a Dodge or Chrysler product or both. Some of those possibly hatches. And we're talking about cars that are sort of, for want of a better term, uh, Ford focus size. 
-hmm. So it's it's a it's a good part of the market. Midsize, they have they will have access to the Fiat Premium platform. The Alpha 159 comes off of in the new Chroma. It is a spectacularly good platform that was co-developed with General Motors. Yeah. <laughs> and so it will be here. And from that, they could do a an absolute knockdown drag out great midsize sedan. They actually can do it off the platform. But that product is easily uh, maybe even three years off. Craig, uh, Fiat keeps talking about how it's bringing $10 billion worth of new product and technology to the table. That's its benefit in getting this part of Chrysler. Do you buy that? Do you think that's accurate? I'd say that's a pretty generous valuation. <laughs> you know, you look at what uh, a typical automotive program can be anywhere from a million to a billion to a billion and a half dollars. Um, a powertrain program, maybe three quarters of a billion dollars. Powertrain is about a billion now, actually. Okay. With uh, emissions, but you're right. Ten billion is definitely on the high side. I could see six billion easily when you look at the multiple platforms and powertrains. But beyond that, wow. When they when when the Fiat executives first came to town, they were talking three to four billion. Then you heard Congress start crying out, yeah. "They're not bringing enough to the table," and all yeah. of a sudden the price tag is now ten billion. And this this goes to a question that the that the, the secured lenders raised during the, this negotiation was when they thought they were going to get equity, which was. How, how do you know who's valuing what fiat brings in? Is fiat valuing it? And they were very concerned that fiat would have a lot of say about that valuation, which goes, I think, to your point that right now this $10 billion that fiat is, say, is, is valuing its uh, tooling and technology for maybe at the upper end, though, it depends on, I guess, what, what they're going to bring to the table. There's an implementation question, too. Would they be willing to pay for plant tooling to do this, to bring it in? They might, so they maintain their manufacturing systems and so on. In which case, you're throwing some more money into the barrel, but getting up to $10 billion, unless there's something in there for handling, and a lot of people are handling stuff. But Yeah. I, I figured five myself, but I thought, hey, five's worth it. It's still worth it. Craig, what do you see for Chrysler emerging from bankruptcy? W what's it going to be like, and what do you think is its chances for success? Um, I think it's really hard to say. A lot of it depends on how, uh, how much erosion there is in consumer willingness to buy Chrysler vehicles. Uh, they clearly have value in Ram, uh, van, uh, Jeep brand on a, on a, on a thrifted uh, basis. Um, those, I think, will come out. I don't know there's a lot of value in the, in the car assets. Uh, it's not clear how much of Chrysler they're going to keep. Will they just go in and really try to sort of 363 the really valuable assets? What, what do you mean 363? Buy specific assets uh, and then leave the other ones uh, to be liquidated and paid out to creditors. Sale in bankruptcy, functionally a, a 363. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to tell how much of it they're going to end up taking over. My guess is they'll take over less than more, uh, and I think that's a smart thing to do, um, and really focus on that and um, uh, work, it as work in the new products as fast as you possibly can and try to get something meaningful in place by two years. I think the Grand Cherokee is probably something that they will introduce and, and, and support. The uh, 300 is a ways off. Probably not, maybe not something you want to do here. Maybe it's something you'd buy and then move into another market. So I think, uh, I think the timing is, is how they do it will have a lot to do with what their probability of success is. You watch these things and, you know, we, we see companies go into bankruptcy and they come out and they tend not to stay out of bankruptcy. Yeah. It seems they lapse back into it. Certainly we've seen a lot of that with the airlines as an example. And I know that's a totally different, different way business. different business model. I know it's a different business model, but what's your sense is uh, once they can come out of bankruptcy, can they stay out? 
there's a, there's a lot of factors that have driven these uh, chapter 22s, 33s, and 44s. And it tends to be we, we didn't deal with the, the a fundamental business model. So we're going to have to see how, whether they're going to deal with a fundamental business model. Um, or they ended up having a slowdown in the economy after you thrifted the business. So I don't think we're going to see a slowdown in the economy. We're already pretty much at the floor. So I think that's not likely to happen. So the question will be, can they get, yeah, can they get it to a break-even point? Uh, uh, can they get to a 9 or 10 million unit production break-even point for Chrysler? And if they can, I'd be cautiously optimistic that with uh, the government uh, backstopping uh, the capital side, I think there's a pretty good chance they will come out and should be able to reestablish themselves as a competitive, albeit niched, uh, player in North America. Kate, what's your view of how Chrysler looks coming out of this thing? Is, is it a fully integrated part of Fiat? Is it sort of a standalone company that Fiat has oversight? Or, or what's your sense of it? I think you're going to see uh, narrower product lines. I mean, I think the proliferation of, of different products under the Jeep brand will be trimmed. I think, uh, obviously, the small car platforms will be very different. And uh, the Dodge Ram continues to will be will they'll, they'll have a lot of focus on that i i imagine the, the the empire that fiat is looking to build with chrysler and potentially with opal uh i think will be a very interesting thing to watch as as a competitor on on the global stage and i mean if you i don't think that uh other competitors see them as top tier but um i wouldn't i think that they have some serious ambition i think you should think about them uh, after this, myself, I, I see them as sort of a Nissan Renault setup. Companies um, tightly anchored at the hip with a belt, but not necessarily any warm tissue. So they have, uh, they, they, one influences more than the other, but they allow it to operate where it has its strengths. Uh, one of the things Fiat wants out of this is Jeep distribution for the world. Mm. Because right now, they make no sport utilities or legitimate crossover vehicles at Fiat or with any of the Fiat brands. So maybe Fiat will help Chrysler export exactly. out of North America and not just with Jeep? Exactly. I think that's very possible. You could also see uh, Fiat get access to the uh, um, Phoenix engine, the V6, V6 engine, because right now they build a V6. They build it for Alfa Romeo. And the economies of scale aren't there. But a set of Alfa heads and induction system on a, uh, on a Phoenix engine could be a very, very interesting thing. And good for the manufacturing facility that's going to be doing the sixes here. And these are precisely the things that the secured lenders were talking about when they said, actually, there's value at Chrysler. And we think that their liquidation analysis was richer than the government's. They, they pointed to the Phoenix engine as having a lot of potential value. And Jeep's international sales of, of the brand uh, through all of the consumer products is $500 million a year. So there, there's a lot of value in, in the company that can, that can help it go forward. And I, I think Fiat is on the record having said that they are looking to bring Jeep brands to the world. I don't think it's merely speculation. I think no, it's, no, part, it's, of their, have, it's oh, part, no, part of their strategy. Well, I mean, you know, Chrysler last year sold some quarter of a million vehicles outside of North America. Right. So they're already doing it. But this could help accelerate it along, I imagine, then. and. Uh, so, Kate, uh, again, bottom line, you think this is a good move for Chrysler? You think this is what's going to save the company? What was the alternative? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess I think the alternative was a bankruptcy proceeding in December. And it would have been 
maybe today we'd be where we are without being in bankruptcy. So it, it's hard to really, I think, from this perspective to like, this is the alternative. What was the, the so it, it's got to be the alternative okay. that works. And, and we're down to the very end. Thumbs up, thumbs down. You like what uh, is going to happen here? Um, I understand it. I'm not sure I like it, but it's the, it's the cards they've been dealt. They're going to play it, and I think they've got a chance to basically better their position. Sorry, we're down to the end. Yes, no, good, bad. Uh, big question is why do I want to save? We got to take four million units out of North America. Why am I saving Chrysler, which is could be half of that in one swoop? Real good. Thank you all, and I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. As always happens here at AutoLine Detroit, we seem to run out of time before we run out of topics to talk about. So you can get even more of this discussion of what's going on at Chrysler at our website right now at AutoLineDetroit.tv. And if you need a daily dose of keeping up with all the developments in this industry, check out AutoLine Daily, a six-minute webcast that we can deliver to your desktop every day. On top of that, we started the first live weekly webcast talking about what's going on in this industry. It's highly opinionated, lots of passionate debate, and sometimes it's even irreverent. Join me with Peter DeLorenzo, Jason Vines, and whichever guest we happen to bring in via Skype for some of the best inside information as to what's going on in this industry. Anyway, that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.